All right. So, um, homework assignment due today, right? What? I should have given it to you yesterday because you're all going to start it today anyway, right? I could have handed it out today and it would be fine for most people. No, a few of you gave it to me on Wednesday. At least one person submitted it on D2L already. Uh, as long as it's on the D2L Dropbox by 6 o'clock tomorrow, you're, you're fine. Uh, quiz comes up next week covering chapters 11 and 12. And then the exam the following, following week, so a week from Monday, we'll cover chapters 10 through 12. Uh, that week you also have your third set of solar observations and homework number six that will be due. Homework six I did not bring today. If you want a copy, it's on D2L. I know how many of you are jumping to do it this weekend. One, zero, less, less than zero, right? But it's up there if someone really wants to get it. It is up on D2L um, in, that, in, one of the, in one of the lessons there. You'll find it. But if not, I'll bring copies on Monday and hand those out on Monday. And then the iTunes quiz coming up the following, following week. So that's sort of a little bit about what's, what's coming up on the, on the assignments. Question, questions? We're good with what's coming up? Third article review will be shortly after this. It's like I have it scheduled on there. I think I have it scheduled for Thanksgiving week, but it'll probably be due the weekend, be like the week, be the Friday before, right before that. So right around the, is it like the 22nd, I think it is? So probably be right around then that it'll be due. So coming right, right after this time period. Trying to get it, because you have a couple big things coming due, and I'm trying to split them up. You have a third article review, you have a solar observations, and then a final. I'm trying to split them up so you don't get anything, you know. One each week, maybe, but not you know all three of them in one week or something. So, but yeah, it's coming up. It's coming up right after, right after probably the iTunes quiz. That might be the next thing that comes up. Comes up too. Other questions, comments? No. no? Okay. All right. Picture of the day for today then. NGC seven eight one four, the little sombrero galaxy. NGC 7814 is the astronomer's name for it. It's a catalog designation. And that's the new general catalog of uh, mostly of galaxies, or galaxies of extended objects, objects that are not just stars. So you got a star up here. Any of these other objects would get, the brighter ones would get an NGC catalog number. Uh, and you can see there's thousands of, thousands of these objects that have been cataloged in here. Little Sombrero, there's a big Sombrero galaxy, much larger than this. You know, looks like the Mexican hat. Well, this is a little bit smaller version of that. It's actually a spiral galaxy, much like our own. Uh, you can't really see the spiral arms because we're looking at it edge on. So spiral galaxy, think of it as like a plate almost. And if you turn its edge, edge on, that's what you're seeing. You're seeing here, you're looking at it to the edge. You're not looking down at the face of it. So you're not going to be able to see the spiral arms. We know that they're there. We see, that the, we see the dust. So you can see this darker dust lane going pretty much right through the center, blocking out the material. Well, we just talked about the dust the last chapter. Dust is very good at absorbing visible light. So we were not going to see through that. So parts of that galaxy that we cannot see. That's not the only galaxy in the image. There's a bunch of galaxies in this image. In fact, if you pull it up on your own screen, you can see a ton of them. There's one very obvious one up here. A uh, couple others, there's something down here that is also a galaxy. So there are actually, you could probably count, you know, many tens of galaxies to hundreds of galaxies very easily if you go through this image in great detail. 
telling the difference between a galaxy and a star is pretty easy for the relatively bright ones. All of the bright stars show this pattern through them, this star pattern through them. That has nothing to do with the star. <laughs> so the stars themselves are not making any kind of odd pattern like that. That is all an effect of the telescope. And if you recall when we talked about reflecting telescopes, they all had this little mirror up in the center to bounce the light back down to some place where you could get to it. And you need something to hold that mirror in place. Right? So you put that, you're looking down the tube of your big telescope, and you put a little tiny mirror up there, unless you can magically make it float there. Right? Not, not very easy. You've got to put something to hold it in place, which is going to look something like this. You know, bunch of supports holding that mirror in place. Well, you end up seeing that pattern, it, when the light has to bend around those, you end up seeing that diffraction pattern in the stars. So you'll end up seeing that in any, anything that is essentially a point. And to any telescope, almost every single star is just a single point of light. We cannot see any size to it. We can't measure the size of that star directly. If you recall, there were only a handful of stars that were big enough and close enough to be able to measure, measure that. So anything where you see this spike pattern on it is definitely a star. So you see another one, maybe perhaps here you can see it, down here. Those are all stars. Anything that is bigger in size and similar in size that does not have that would be a galaxy. So again, if you take a look at this in more detail, if you pull it up, look at the highest resolution image, you can see, actually pick the difference between a star and a galaxy, even from ones that you don't see a lot of, a lot of shape to. Like here you see you know, a distinct shape to that galaxy. Many of the others you won't be able to see it directly, but you can still tell whether it's a galaxy or a star by looking at the diffraction pattern. Every single star that's bright enough. The real faint ones, you've got to start doing other stuff. But any star that's bright enough, you will be able to see that kind of pattern. So something else that you can look at in that image, in addition to the pretty little galaxy galaxy there. Any question? question? No. That's the permanent view. The, the, the rate the galaxies move, we'd never be able to, to see it in a significant period, you know, in any, any reasonable period of time to us. Maybe if you can wait billions of years and the, our galaxy has moved relative to it, we might get a different perspective. But it's not something like, for example, we talk about looking at, when we look at Saturn. Sometimes we see the rings, sometimes we don't. The perspective changes a lot quicker. It changes on a yearly basis and you can see the rings. On something like this, you'd be talking many billions of years and again it would depend on the relative motion of our galaxy and that galaxy. So if those galaxies move over billions of years to the point where we're in a different position relative to it, again you're still talking really, really long time periods. So we're not something we're ever going to be in, you know, in our lifetime, even talking the solar system's lifetime, be able to see a different view of any of these galaxies. We're stuck with the, we're stuck with the view that we get. Good question. Anything else? No? No? We're ready for chapter 12 then. All right. Yay! More about stars. So let's see. Uh, chapter 12. Chapter 11, we talked about the formation of, the star, of a star and its birth. Chapter 12, we're going to talk about the death of a star. So we pretty much skipped through the whole life of a star. We talked about that a little bit when we talked about the sun. Not a lot happens, and if you recall our numbering, that happened to be stage 7. That was the main sequence life of the star. For a star like the sun, it lasts 10 billion years. 
long time, but nothing much happens. We watched that star move on the HR diagram and it went from up in the red giant vicinity and moved down towards the main sequence. It actually moved there. It changed its temperature. It changed its luminosity. Once it reaches that equilibrium, it's done. It's just going to sit there until it uses up its fuel. So it's going to sit there and it's not going anyplace. Eventually the sun will do something quite like the image here to start off the chapter. Eventually this will be our sun. For, to some distant astronomer somewhere else in the galaxy looking back, our sun will look something like this. This is what is called a planetary nebula. A planetary nebula is the end state of a star much like the sun. What happens is the outer layers expand and get gets larger and larger. The inner layers compact down to what we call a white dwarf star, something about the size of the Earth. And at some point, the star can become unstable and push those outer layers out into space. Sometimes in one big puff, the outer layers go off and you get a nice big spherical blob surrounding the star. Here, looks like it may have occurred in several different bursts. You've got one circle here, one here. Depending on the material around it, it might actually puff off at different times. So different layers, you know, put some, some layers go out and other layers go out. Nope, nope, just kind of pushing the layers off. Very slow process. Not like a supernova comes up for more massive stars. But just sort of pushing those layers off. They get so big, the star, the star gets so big, something like the sun will push out to the orbit of Mars. That's pretty big. So that all the gravity, all the mass is still down at that core. It's got a tough time holding on to those, that part of the sun out there. So any little instabilities that push it out, it doesn't have a very big escape velocity. Pretty easy enough to push it off into space. Once it starts expanding, Newton's first law started expanding. It's going to keep expanding. It starts moving. It's going to keep moving out into space. And it will slowly, over thousands of years, expand outward. And that very hot core that's left behind will actually illuminate it. It'll excite it and cause it to glow. But it's not an explosion in any sense. We will talk about some of some of those in this chapter, in this chapter and into the next one. As a white dwarf star, yeah. No, when you get to a white dwarf star, you're at the end. Okay. There is no nuclear fusion. It's just there. It's compacted down as tight as it can possibly get, and still have atoms. It would be extremely high. It's the central core of the star, so it would start off at millions of degrees, or more. And then it will slowly cool off. Most of the ones we see have cooled off to 20, 30,000 degrees. Still pretty hot compared to our sun. But they will, and all they're going to do, there's no energy source, so all they're doing is slowly radiating that energy into space. And they'll slowly cool, slowly cool off. So what we're going to look at in chapter 12 is leaving the main sequence. And we're going to do... Uh, similar to what we did in the last chapter, we're going to start off looking, with the, looking at a star like the Sun and see what happens. In this case, it's a little bit different for a low mass star and a little bit even more different for a high mass star. So we're going to look at those separately. And then we will talk about supernova explosions. Doesn't happen for a star like the Sun. There's no way the Sun can ever go supernova. So we're safe from there. It'll expand, it'll swallow us up, but it's never going to explode. There's nothing that it could ever do that would get it massive enough to uh, undergo a supernova explosion. Um, more massive stars, on the other hand, can. And we'll talk about that probably next week. Observing stellar evolution. How do we, how do we watch this? The only stage of, of stellar evolution that we can ever watch 
directly is a supernova explosion. It's the only one that goes fast enough. We can see all the other stages. I can see a planetary nebula. I can't see it form. I'm not going to see it disappear. It, planetary nebula stage might last 50,000, 100,000 years. So we're not going to be able to watch that form. The only thing is a supernova explosion. That occurs like that, that lasts you know, weeks to months. Star will get bright for a matter of a few weeks and then slowly fade off. So it's, that's something we can actually watch. That's the one stage of stellar evolution we can actually see. Everything else is just too long of a time frame. But we can, can observe it by looking at star clusters. I sort of alluded to this earlier. We looked at some star clusters. You plotted a couple. Uh, we looked at some of them in the last chapter and were able to tell their ages. We can then use that, those star clusters to sort of try to tell what's going on and try to decipher what goes on in stellar evolution. So let's start here with a, seen a figure similar to this before. Uh, here's our nice slide on the main sequence. 10 billion years worth for the sun. It's in perfect balance. Gravity is pulling it in. Gravity wants to crush it down. Gravity formed that star. Gravity wants to keep pulling it down. All the material that's in the outer part of the star is being pulled down towards the center. In order to keep it stable, there has to be something else going on. There has to be some other force to keep it in balance. And that is the force of the nuclear reactions in the core. So if you didn't have any kind of force pushing outwards, right? Newton's law says you're pulling things down. You've got a force pulling it down. That star would collapse down to a black hole. You need some kind of force, something, to push outward. And that is what we call the, that's the nuclear energy, the nuclear force that's being, not the nuclear force, the nuclear energy that's being produced pushes out with the pressure. And it's balanced perfectly. It perfectly balances gravity. If you produce too much energy, right, produce too much energy in the core, you're overcoming gravity and you're pushing it out further. You're going to expand the star. If you produce too little, then the star is going to contract down. For a star like the sun, it doesn't change. Any slight changes inside are immediately balanced and it stays in perfect equilibrium for billions, for many billions of years. So it could change, say it got a little bit hotter. Say for some reason the core of the sun got a little bit hotter. Produces a little bit more energy, pushes things out, expands outward. What typically happens when things expand? They get hotter or cooler? Hmm? Sorry? Cooler? Cooler. Eh. Cooler. If you expand something, it gets a little bit cooler, typically, right? If you expand it, it gets a little bit cooler, you're going to cool off the temperatures and it comes back to equilibrium. So if you try to make it a little bit hotter, it's going to expand, cool off, and stay stable. So the sun, something like the sun, any little deviations, it brings it right back into an equilibrium and stays there. Um, they, they'd be very minor and they'd be really self-correcting like that. Probably something, maybe something even as fast as that. I mean, it would be very quick. I mean, you got something as big as the sun, it takes some amount of time, so it might start, but it's not going to expand to any noticeable amount for us. We would have noticed those kind of variations. Right? We can look at the historical record. You know, temperatures on Earth have been relatively constant for billions of years. Yeah, we've had ice ages and we've had warmer periods, but overall it stays roughly the same and, that has, and the actual output of the sun can be measured from like ice cores and things that are dug in Antarctica and it's been pretty constant. So it has not really changed 
changed any significant amount. And it would be balanced I mean, pretty much I mean, as quickly as the sun can react to it. You wouldn't, not enough that you would actually notice any kind of changes for something like the sun. There are other stars that are out of an equilibrium that we'll talk about, talk about later. So, okay, that, that's, that's, that's stage seven. We're done. There's nothing else to talk about there. It may last 10 billion years. It may be the vast majority of the life of the star, but it's boring. Nothing else happens there. Nothing is really happening to the sun during that time. But what is happening, we can't see. It's going on deep down inside. We've got hydrogen in the core. That hydrogen is being consumed. That hydrogen is being converted to helium. That's our energy source. If that is not happening, the star collapses. So as we use up that hydrogen, the star leaves the main sequence and starts to change. Its luminosity will change and its temperature will change. What happens next really depends on the mass of the star. A low mass star, something like the sun or less massive, they really have a very quiet life. And they have a quiet death, too. Yeah, you might form a beautiful planetary nebula, like the image we saw at the beginning of class. But they don't do anything, you know, anything unusual. They go and change. They'll become a red giant star. They'll push off their outer layers. Very slow, not, no kind of explosion at all. And then end up as a white dwarf and just kind of, you know, nothing, nothing, nothing big happening. A high mass star, on the other hand, is the one that's going to go out with the bang. It's going to explode. So high mass stars will build up, will become unstable in their cores, and will physically collapse down and rebound out and tear their outer layers out in a massive explosion. That's what we call a supernova explosion. So first thing we're going to look at is low mass stars. We're going to look at a star like the sun. What happens in a case like that? What is the sun going to do as it works through, as it works through its life, as it uses up that hydrogen, it's used it up, it's using it up now. It's used up about half the hydrogen it has. About five billion years worth. It's got about five billion years more worth to go. So let's start out looking at an image here. Even right now, the composition of the sun is changing. Not that we can see. Here's the, this is sort of a schematic of the sun. This would be the interior. This would be the core of the sun down here. And you work your way outward to the surface. So when it forms, it's pretty much got all mixed together. So there's some hydrogen and some helium from what, that it formed from. And it's pretty much mixed evenly throughout. Notice that what we see on the outside doesn't change. Here we are right now, after 5 billion years, pretty much nothing's changed on the outside at all. Big changes on the inside. After 10 billion years, the outside is still going to look the same. The exterior of the sun, if we just measure it, we're not going to see any increase in the amount of helium. None of that helium ever makes it out to the surface. It's all trapped down in the core. It never makes it out here. So all that helium is, way, is, is kept way down in the core. It doesn't make it out to the surface. If it could, that would be nice. If you could actually mix up this entire thing, then the sun would last a lot more than 10 billion years. Right? If you had big convective currents, we do in the sun, right? We have convective currents that are mixing the material. They're only out here. Remember, it was the core, the radiative zone, and then the convective zone was way out here. So it's mixing, but it's only mixing this very outer part. So it's mixing stuff that's already pretty uniform in, 
composition. It doesn't get down far enough to bring up that helium. Those convective currents don't get far enough to bring that helium up. So what we see on the surface doesn't change. So just by measuring a star's composition from what we can see, we can't tell whether it just formed, whether it's halfway through its life, or whether it's at the very edge of its life. There's no way to tell that from the surface composition. If we could measure the core, and here's what we're looking at right now, there's what the sun is right now. The sun has a lot more helium in its core, and still a decent amount of hydrogen. Five billion years from now, pretty much in that core here, the helium will be dominant. There'll be almost all helium, very little hydrogen at all. Still some, but getting much, much harder to, you know, for those hydrogen atoms to find each other, to fuse together. So the composition is changing, but I just wanted to make sure when we say that it means the composition of the core. Nothing that we can see about the star is changing yet. Yeah, sorry. Oh, thank you. So what's going to happen? Well, as we use up that fuel, we have no energy source. Now we're out of equilibrium. Okay, we still got gravity pulling down. Gravity's never going to stop. Gravity's always going to pull that thing down. But what's going to happen is the core is going to contract downward and the core will start to collapse. Now, not in a very fast thing. It's not going to be all of a sudden like this and boom, it collapses down. It's a very slow contraction as it uses up its energy. There's still little bits of hydrogen there as it uses them all up. The core starts to collapse downwards. And then what you have to what you get, that core is going to heat up and you're going to be at high enough temperatures that hydrogen will still be fusing. There's still an energy source. So you have a core here where there is no energy being produced. That's what's slowly contracting down. You have around that, you have a shell around that that is burning hydrogen. So no energy being produced here. You still have energy being produced here. The energy that's being produced there is sort of out of equilibrium. It's unbalanced and it's pushing, the sh it's going to start pushing that star's outer layers outward. So while the core is collapsing, again, very gradually, but the core is slowly contracting, the outer layers are actually expanding. So this is when the star is going to begin to move up towards the red giant range again. It's going to leave the main sequence. It's going to cool off. As we expand, temperatures are going to decrease. So it's going to go from being, talking with a star like the sun, it's going to go from being a yellowish star to a red star. So it's going to become red, and it's going to become much larger. So a red giant star heading up towards the red giant portion of the main sequence. And again, when I say it's heading towards that, it's not physically moving any place. It's not the star that's moving. It's that its temperature and luminosity are changing, so its position on the HR diagram is what is really changing. So this is the first stage of the, of the end life of a star like the sun. You've got that core, the helium ash, you know, the material that's left over from burning hydrogen is the ash that's down at the center. And then you have an energy source still. That's why the star doesn't completely collapse. You have some energy source that's pushing the outer layers outwards. So look at the next set of stages. We'll start at 7 again. That was the main sequence life. We covered that in about 15 seconds. All done. No. Biggest part of the life, but the not, not, much, not much going on there. The other stages that we're going to look at, the times again are much less. The sun will become a subgiant as it begins to use up. That might be 100 million years, 100 million years, 10 billion years, relatively short time. 
When we look at the other stages, you have 100,000 years. You have for the red, red, first red giant phase, you have the sun actually become stable again on the horizontal branch. We'll look at that. That lasts for all of 50 million years. Wow, long time, right? But 50 million years compared to a 10 billion year lifetime isn't very long. So that's when the sun will become stable again as a, again, a giant star on what we call the horizontal branch, and I'll point that out here in a little bit. Then it will go back to the red giant phase. What's happened in the horizontal branch is that it's found a new energy source. Got a new source of energy. Helium. Very good. It's able to burn the helium. So you're able to smash two helium nuclei together. Well, three, three helium nuclei together. Two helium nuclei doesn't do you any good. Yes. Temperatures, temperatures are going to increase drastically. What do we have? Let's see, do I have a central? Yeah, central temperature. What happens to the central temperature when we get there? Uh, we're pushing about, what, two, 200 million degrees? So hundreds of millions of degrees, 15 million degrees is about where the sun is now. About 15 million, it's going to get up to a couple hundred million degrees. So much, much hotter. It'll go back to the red giant phase. And again, I'm going to go through this in more detail afterwards. Eventually, it'll leave. It'll separate. That giant will get so big that the outer layers will be expanded out, expelled out into space. It'll leave the star. Uh, that's a very small amount of the material in the star. Very small amount of the material. So not a lot of material. Most of the matter is still left behind. Just those very outer layers, which are a small fraction of its mass, are expelled out into space. So you have the core left behind. In this case of a star like the sun, it's going to be primarily made up of carbon. Uh, the sun will not get hot enough that it could fuse carbon atoms together. Right? Hydrogen atoms were hard enough to fuse. You need millions of degrees to get one charge and one charge to fuse together. You need hundreds of millions of degrees to get two, charge, two positive and two positive charges to fuse together. Can you imagine how hot you've got to get to fuse carbon, which is six positive charges and six positive charges? lot higher temperature in order to get that diffused. Big stars can do that. The sun would not be able to. It'll form a planetary nebula, which has the white dwarf star at the center. And the outer layers shed out into space. And what, once the planetary nebula dies off, that lasts a relatively short time. Do they even give me something? No, typically it's in the tens of thousands of years range. So relatively short time, again, astronomically speaking. And then over a time, it'll slowly cool off. That white dwarf will cool off and eventually become a black dwarf star, simply because it's lost all of its heat, lost all of its energy. It takes a very long time. There are no black dwarfs in existence yet. There has not been enough time from the time the first stars would have become white dwarfs, even 13 billion years ago, for them to have cooled off to the stage of being a black dwarf star. But that's eventually the end state for most stars like the sun. They'll just completely cool off, and there'll be essentially a big, a big chunk of carbon sitting, sitting there yeah, where it was. The numbers I'd seen were talking, you know, like trillions of years. It's a very long time. These things are so small that it takes a long time for them to radiate away their heat, about the size of the Earth. So they have all this heat in them. And it takes a very long time. They have a very small surface area. If they were big, they could get rid of that, that heat very quickly. But they're so small, it takes a very long time for them to radiate away that heat. So I'm thinking trillions. 
trillions of years. So nothing that's even come close to in our in our lifetime in our in our lifetime of our galaxy. Ignore our own lifetimes. They're you know they're little snap of the fingers. So let's look at those in a little bit more detail. So we went through the uh, main sequence. It will go through the subgiant phase, which I've kind of been just skimming over here. It'll go through that stage as it's using up that uh, using up its hydrogen. It does it. It doesn't just jump. So we don't just go on the main sequence. We have our main sequence here. All right, here's our main sequence, and you don't just have a star there, and then all of a sudden it becomes a red giant and jumps up here. The process is much slower than that. It's going to take some time as that starts to use up its hydrogen. The core starts to contract and it's slowly going to work its way up there and that's when it goes through that subgiant phase. And that will take some time. The sun will start reaching that um, the last few hundred million years of its life as it's starting to use up that, the last of its fuel. It'll slowly start to expand. So as we reach the red giant branch, we get up there finally. It takes a little bit of time to get there. That's stage eight. Stage 9 is the red giants. The core continues to shrink, still collapsing downward, and the outer layers expand and cool. So its temperature has decreased. It's gone from a hotter star where the sun is now to a cooler star. And it's become gigantic. In fact, at this point, we're about out to the size of Mercury, so one planet gone. Right, out to about the size of Mercury. And if you have Mercury orbiting inside the outer layers of the sun, even if they're not very dense, okay, the outer layers of the sun aren't very dense. You know, it's a good, pretty good vacuum when you get out this big. You, when you get out to this size, it's still a pretty good vacuum. But so is uh, the space where a lot of the satellites orbit, low Earth satellites orbit. There's pretty much a vacuum out there. But if you still put that satellite up you know, a few hundred miles above the Earth and you just let it sit there, it doesn't stay there forever. It'll come back down to Earth because there is a slow drag. There's still a little bit of material out there, a very thin atmosphere, as the Earth's atmosphere just slowly gets less and less dense, that it's traveling through, and that will bring that satellite back down. The closer it is to the Earth, the quicker it would come back down. So, same thing with this. It's not that it's, the Sun's going to, well, it's going to have burned up Mercury, but as it gets out that big, this, as Mercury tries to, anything left of Mercury tries to orbit inside this red giant, even though it's very diffuse, it's going to slowly cause its orbit to decay and it will just spiral in and become part of the sun. Now the star has gotten cooler, but it's also going to get incredibly bright. So our sun will, our sun will go, go from being one of the faint stars in the sky, right? bright for us only because we're so close to it. If you put it at a reasonable distance, put it out at the distance of some of the stars in Orion, you wouldn't even see it, would not be visible. At this point, you're going to start to be able to, you'd be able to see the sun at those distances. It would become a much larger, a much larger, a much brighter star. Not because its temperature increased, but because its size did. It's gotten so much bigger that it now is becoming a much, much brighter star. So let's look at that on the HR diagram. So as I said, there's kind of how it moves. It goes from the main sequence. It's stuck there. It, it gets a little bit cooler as it's using up that hydrogen. As it fully uses up that hydrogen and that core compacts down more and more, you watch it shoot up in size. That core compacts down. The more that compacts down, the more the outer layers expand out. And it sort of almost goes straight up on the HR diagram. So temperature gets slightly, slightly cooler as it does, but the luminosity goes up by tens of thousand, ten thousand times. 
The size is now hundreds of times where the sun, what the sun was before. Again, that took a long time. That doesn't just happen. It's not where you can see the star going through its life and oh, we're going to watch it. Boom. It zips up there. It zips up there. We're going to see stars at all stages of this. We're going to see stars that are here, like our sun. We're going to see stars that are in this subgiant phase that are using up their hydrogen. We're going to see stars that are in this red giant phase and heading up towards a, towards a point up here where something is eventually going to happen. We're building up a core of helium. Eventually, we already mentioned, we're going to get those temperatures hot enough that we're going to be able to fuse the helium atoms together. And that will be the next stage. So that's stage 10. How hot do we have to get? Only about 100 million degrees. It's hard enough to imagine, you know, 6,000 degrees is hard enough to imagine, right? Let alone 10 and 15 million at the core of the stars, 100 million degrees. Starts to get to be, you know, unimaginably hot temperatures. But you need that extremely high temperature in order to fuse the helium together. So you have this very dense core of helium. Temperature has gotten very high and the helium will start to burn together. And what happens with helium is you take three helium atoms. Can't just do two. Two helium atoms don't form anything stable. What forms breaks apart too quickly to form anything else. So you get three helium atoms combining together. One of the reasons you also need the incredibly high temperature. And the helium will stick together then to form carbon. So three helium nuclei together form one carbon nucleus and we have a new energy source. I'd have to look at the details of the reaction. I don't believe so. I don't believe there's a neutrino involved in this one, but I could be wrong. I'd have to, I'd have to double check it. But yeah, there's the one I know, I know for sure in the, in the hydrogen reaction. I don't know for sure in the helium one, but I'm not familiar with one. When it does begin, it starts very quickly. It's kind of a runaway almost explosion that occurs within this star. So the star is not in, not in equilibrium at first. It actually causes the core of the star to expand. So that core has been con contracting. It's getting, been getting incredibly dense. And once it fuses, you get the material to such a state. Typically, when you heat something up, it wants to expand. Well, you need a lot of energy. This is in such a state, such an unusual state, that it actually stays so compressed that it's sort of a runaway explosion within that core. So a lot of energy being produced all at once. It takes a ton of energy to expand that extremely dense core and to get it to what we consider normal temperatures and pressures. And it will reach a balance again. But this is what we call the helium flash. We don't see it. It's not a flash in like a nova explosion or a supernova explosion. It's a flash that goes on deep in the core. Nothing that we see. All of that energy goes into expanding the core of the star, which has been contracting for the last few million years. Right? Tens of millions of years, that core has been slowly contracting and pressing itself down as tight as it can possibly get. Now we want to expand it back outward. It takes a lot of energy to do that. And when the helium does that, it starts to expand and it slowly will expand that until it gets it out to a more normal, a normal size. And what's going to happen is the core is expanding, the outer layers contract again. Okay? The opposite. When we have the core contract, the outer layers expand. When we have the core expand, now the outer layers are coming back in. So the star will actually get smaller. 
than it was. So the star will change in size. It's not just bigger. It will actually get smaller as well. And let's see, I should have a diagram here. Here's stage 10. So it comes up there. It's getting this whole stage going up this red giant branch. It's getting hotter and hotter in the core. Finally, it hits the helium flash. It hits the point where helium can start to burn. It hits 100 million degrees. And all of a sudden, it can start burning the helium. It has a new energy source. It starts to heat up. It gets hotter. Even the surface gets hotter. It starts to contract in size. And it settles down in what is called the horizontal branch. And that's stage 10. So it will settle down on the horizontal branch. And it will sit there calmly now burning helium. So the helium explosion, the first explosion of helium in the core, just goes towards expanding the, the core of the star and stabilizing it. Once, it's, once it actually gets to that point, it reaches an equilibrium again. Energy production by helium, exactly balanced by gravity pulling it down. So exactly balanced, and that keeps it on the horizontal, and that keeps it on the horizontal branch for a few tens of millions of years. Not very long compared to the other stage, but it is stable again. It takes a lot more energy. You get less energy out of burning helium than you do out of burning hydrogen. Okay? There's less of an energy difference between three helium nuclei and one carbon nucleus than there is between four hydrogen nuclei and one helium nucleus. So there's less energy produced for each reaction. You need lots more reactions to try to keep the star stable. So it can't last near as long. It's got to go through that fuel even quicker to keep the star in balance. But it will remain in balance for a short time, relatively speaking, on the horizontal branch. So it will reach an equilibrium again there. So what's going to happen? Same thing again. Same thing we talked about for the first stage. Eventually, we're going to use up all that helium, right? No helium left. We're forming carbon at the core. So helium has been burning into carbon. We now have, you see we're building up a little onion here, right? All these different layers to it. There's the carbon ash. Around that, you're going to get a shell where helium is burning. So in, in the very interior, all of it's been converted to carbon. Around that, you have a shell of helium burning into carbon, adding to that. Around that, you have a shell of hydrogen burning into helium, adding to the helium. And around that, you have the whole rest of the star where nothing much is going on except that it's expanding or contracting based on what's going on in the core. So as we go back, as the helium uses up, the same thing is going to happen again. It's going to get hotter and hotter in that core. We're going to form a dead core of car dead carbon core at the center that nothing much can do. A star like the sun will never have enough mass to get that temperature high enough to fuse two carbon nuclei together. It won't get hot enough to be able to do that. But it looks a lot like what we said when it just left the main sequence, when it was just finishing burning hydrogen. It was forming a shell of helium and then a shell or a core of helium and a shell around that. Now it has a core of carbon and a couple of shells around that. When we talk about more massive stars, we can actually get five, six, seven, eight different layers going on here as we fuse up towards heavier and heavier elements. Those are the ones that are interesting and they become unstable. You can form neon, you can get up to what else? Neon, silicon, sulfur. You'll get up to iron at the core eventually. But you can get a number of different layers there that will build up. So you'll get layers of carbon. You can get layers of oxygen, neon. 
Usually jumping pretty much is by twos because you're adding helium nuclei to it. And eventually you can get a whole bunch of layers. When you get to iron at the center, that's when you're in trouble. Because that there, once you get to iron, you can't really do anything else. So the situation is this similar. We headed up to the giant branch once. We went up from the main sequence. We went up towards the giant branch. We dropped down to the horizontal branch. Now as we use up the helium, we're heading back up the giant branch again. So the star is going to cool off. It heated up a little bit as it, as it was burning helium. Now it's going to cool off again and become even larger than it was before. So it's going to become an even larger star. So we already wiped out Mer Mercury. We're going to head to the point of wiping out Venus and the Earth. So it's become a red giant for the second time. And that's what we call the asymptotic giant branch. It's up approaching the red giants again, actually getting up into the supergiant phase. So this is everything we've looked at. There's the subgiants. Is it using up its hydrogen? As that hydrogen, as that helium core contracts and contracts, it gets, it zips up here towards a very large star. Helium ignites all of a sudden, jumps it down to the horizontal branch in a relatively short period of time, again astronomically speaking. Once it uses up that helium, it starts moving up again, up towards, up back up towards the giant and into the supergiant range. This is the point where the sun will get large enough to swallow Venus, to swallow the Earth and be able to be a very, a very, very large star, be a supergiant star. Now it'll be a vis visible across a large chunk of the galaxy. So someone you know, thousands of light years away would be able to see the sun as one of the brighter stars in their sky. Right now, someone thousands of light years away would need a pretty good telescope to be able to see the sun. Nothing changing about the sun except that its size is getting that much bigger. So here's it kind of to scale, not quite, but sort of. Uh, entire evolution of a star like the sun. You've got, there's the formation we talked about there. There's stage seven. The only thing to do this to scale, you'd probably need about 20 slides of just this little section here of stage seven. If you want to do that to, scale, to time scale, you need about 20 slides of that section in order to show how long it spends on the main sequence relative to everything else. So you need a lot of time there, very little time. The red giant phase goes very, very quickly. All those stages that we just talked about are all zipped right in here. Those all occur very, very quickly compared to you know, the main sequence phase and even the protostar phase. Very, very quickly. It then becomes a white dwarf and it just cools off. A star like the sun will not become hot enough to fuse carbon. So you can't really take two carbon atoms or even a carbon atom and a helium atom and fuse them together in a star like the sun. The temperatures are not there. It's got to be a lot hotter to do something like that. But that will happen when we get to talk about uh, more massive stars. That actually will occur. So just sort of giving you a little schematic there, giving you an idea of how long, you know, but even make that even longer than it is. But the main, main sequence for a star like the main sequence time for a star like the sun is the vast majority of its lifetime. And lifetime essentially you can consider it ending there once it becomes a white dwarf. That will eventually will outrun the main sequence phase, but nothing else is going on there. It's going to just sit there. So what's going to happen? Here's some images of what will happen to the sun. Which one will it be? I couldn't tell you. You know, depends on the exact conditions around the sun and the exact conditions within the sun as it starts to expand. But these are all cases of planetary nebulae. And 
The core is compacted down there center. There's about all the mass that was there in that star is right down at the center. The whole big outer layer in this ring or this ring or this pattern or this pattern is just the little outer layers of the sun star, a very small fraction of its mass that's out there. It's excited by the heat of this star still. So it glows only while that star at the center, that white dwarf, is hot enough to cause it to glow. So that's why a planetary nebula only lasts a very short time. Those layers are expanding out into space, getting further and further away from the star. And the white dwarf is cooling off. If it cools off enough, it won't be emitting enough energy to be able to excite those and cause them to glow. What's also what's sent out into space is pretty much all hydrogen and helium. We haven't dug down to the core, so all that carbon that's being produced in the sun is going to stay there. It's not getting back out into the universe. So the carbon that makes up your bodies was not formed in stars like the sun. No way to get that carbon back out into the universe. The only thing that's coming out there is those outer layers. And if you recall early on, those outer layers, their composition didn't change. It's still mostly hydrogen and helium and a scattering of other elements. So pretty much all that's being put back out into space in each of these, the white dwarf being uh, noted by the arrows, is just hydrogen and helium. But the sun will end up looking something like that to a distant astronomer, you know, five, five and a half billion years from now when it's finished up the rest of its, rest of its fuel. So we have two parts to it. We have an extremely dense carbon core, denser than anything you can imagine here on Earth. So I think we mentioned if you could, could you walk on this? Technically, you could land something on it. Could you walk on it? No. You'd never be able to walk on it. it could, even if you let it cool off enough so it got to a reasonable temperature that you could you know, land something on it without it being burned to a crisp, you would never be able to walk on it because of the intense gravity. You got the mass of the sun, but you're squished down to the size of the Earth. If you tried to, to walk on that, you would not be able to move. In fact, you'd be squished flat. The gravity would be that intense. So you would not be able to walk on it, but it's extremely dense. It would be you know, a solid surface. Unlike the sun right now, it really would have a solid surface, pretty much made completely out of carbon. The, the outer layers, just that little bit of mass, but those outer layers are now the big thing. That's what you really see. That's out to the size of the solar system. So went through, you know, the sun will expand to the size of Earth out to about Mars's orbit. Based on calculations, that, that material will then be expelled out into space. And we'll start off you know, the size of our solar system and we'll slowly grow. It'll get larger and larger as those continue to expand out into space. That's what we call a planetary nebula. Uh, why is it a planetary nebula? It's nothing to do with planets. So sort of a little misnomer there. It has nothing to do with planets, but it really looks like you know, it was a little small disk through early telescopes. So it could have looked like maybe a star with a planetary system forming around it. So very early astronomers, that's where it got its name, is a planetary nebula. But it really has nothing to do with planets at all. Let me see, what is, let me go ahead and do, let's see, let me just see where I am. Yep, we'll fin let me finish these last couple and then we'll, we'll give you a break here. Let me, that way we'll finish one, finish one and I can start on the higher mass stars next time. So what's going to happen? 13 and 14, all the exciting stuff for the sun has already happened. Now planetary nebula is the highlight of its life. Right? It forms this beautiful planetary nebula for 
tens of thousands of years and then it's gone. All you got left is that material expands out into space, it becomes part of the interstellar medium, it's not attached to that star anymore. So it can go on to form future stars, but that star will then cool off and it'll jump very quickly from here as we see the planetary nebula phase, it kind of goes through this very very rapidly and then ends up down here, that core as it cools off we see down here in the white dwarf phase. Again, no energy source for that white dwarf. It just slowly is cooling off and it's going to slowly move from 13 here down to 14 and beyond as it cools off. It's going to get fainter and fainter and it's going to get cooler and cooler. But again, that will take hundreds of billions of years for even the earliest stars, for any star to cool off to that amount. You normally wouldn't be able to see something that size. You shouldn't see something the size of the Earth at any distance away. Right? It's too small. The only reason you see them is because they are incredibly hot. When you talk about things that are 30,000 degrees or more, they're extremely hot, so they're emitting a lot of energy, and we would then be able to, we can still see them, even over larger distances. Not with your naked eye, but with telescopes, you can still see them. And an example here is one of the nearest ones, in fact, probably the nearest white dwarf star, Sirius B. Sirius A is the bright component of the of the two. You can then you can see that, right? If you go out in the morning sky right now, take a look out there, you see Orion just off to the lower left of it, real bright star, that's the star Sirius. If you use a telescope and you have a powerful enough telescope, you can actually see that there's not just Sirius, but there's also this little tiny companion that orbits around it. Something about the size of the Earth, but it has the mass of the sun. So extremely massive, and that's what we call a white dwarf star. So at one point, billions of years ago, there were actually two stars. Sirius was actually two stars. Would have had one star, that's the one there now, would have had another star that would have been a full-fledged star. Probably something a little more massive than what's, what Sirius is at this point. So you see one, at one point Sirius was a, would have been a, binary star, it still is, but it would have been a binary with two regular stars there and probably would have been even brighter in the sky. Would have had two very bright stars there. And did I do any more with white dwarfs? Ah, got too many more there. Let me, let me just end up here and then I'll go over the white dwarfs. I have a couple, one other thing I forgot I wanted to talk about in terms of white dwarfs that I'm not going to try to get into today. Uh, this is just an idea of how we can find so many of these white dwarfs. And this is looking at a globular star cluster. Remember a globular star cluster? Big glob of stars together. And there's an example of one. Well, what we're looking at here with Hubble Space Telescope with its high resolution is this little tiny box down here. We zoom in and look at that. What do we see? We see all of these little blue stars. Extremely, hot temp extremely high temperatures. And those are the leftover cores of stars. So a whole bunch of white dwarf stars present in this in the center of this globular cluster. A whole bunch of white dwarf stars. So there's a lot of them, a lot of them out there. You normally wouldn't be able to see them over such a distance except that they are so incredibly hot. Now there are some things that can happen to a white dwarf star that I'm going to talk about on Monday. So a white dwarf star isn't, isn't necessarily stuck there forever. It can do a few things. So there are a few things that can happen to a white dwarf star, but I'm going to save that and tell you a little bit more about that on Monday. Questions? No, no. We're ready for lab. Yay. All right. Well, go ahead and take a break for a few minutes and then I'll get I'll get the lab set up.